0: Well let me add my welcome to Derek's. My name is Robin, I'm the Minister of Chammers, and it's great to have you here, and welcome, if you're here for the first time uh, tonight. You're you're perfectly seated in all but the first five rows, as is the case this side of eternity in every church. Welcome, it's great to have you with us tonight. We finish off a series of five tonight in the Old Testament book of Ruth. And uh, if you can turn to Ruth, we've got a a couple of readings there, short ones, and then one from Matthew, and page 222 in the Church Bibles will bring you to the beginning of Ruth. I want us to read the beginning of the letter and the end of the letter, and then pick up uh, a couple of verses from the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. So, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, page 222. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malin and Kilian died, so that the woman was left without her son, sons and her husband. And then the end of the book, chapter 4, Verses 13 to 22. Chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And then turn forward to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Let's just read from verse 1. Matthew 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. And the genealogy at the end of Ruth begins with Perez. Perez the father of Hetzon, Ezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. The difference between the genealogy in Ruth and the genealogy in Matthew is that Matthew includes both Rahab and uh, Ruth in his genealogy. Uh, at the end of Ruth, we have uh, Boaz and Obed And Obed, the father of Jesse, back to Matthew, Jesse the father of David the king, and David the father of Solomon by his wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam. And then all the way down, the generations, to the Lord Jesus, Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God With us. And uh, if you think of the very end of the book of Ruth, the baby in uh, Naomi's arms, Obed given to her, and we go forward to Matthew and the coming of the child, the promised king, God with us. Well, let's pray that God will help us with the big picture of this book. Father God, we pray that in these few minutes, You would help us to rise up above the uh, the trees to see the wood to see the sky and to see the big picture of salvation history communicated in this book with a big heart and we pray that in jesus name and for his sake amen now if you open up the service rather turn to the back of the service sheet the back page you'll see uh, some headings as we uh, try to rise up from the wood, uh, rise up from the trees rather, to see the wood, the big picture of uh, the book. I used to have these bigger picture sermons at the beginning of a series, but that's never a good idea because you don't know what it's about until the end. So hopefully uh, this will help us. If you've been here through this series, um, but if you haven't, I'll try to just pick up different bits uh, if you haven't been here through the book. Now, Ruth, as I prayed, is a little book with a big heart. There is so much material of benefit for us. And in this final talk, I want us to see the big picture, to look up above the trees, to look up from the detail of the events described, to see how these events fit into uh, the salvation plan of God and what we can learn from how they fit in. (laughs) to the salvation plan of God. Why is Ruth in our Bibles? Every Bible book has a purpose or a reason for being there. And it's important that we understand why Ruth is in our Bibles that we might rightly apply its message to us. Ruth is in our Bible for all sorts of reasons. What I'm going to try to do is is hit the big nail on the head. What's the the main reason it's in our Bibles? Let me suggest to you uh, this is the message of ruth you'll see it there written on the sheet that even in the darkest times the lord is at work for the good of his people in advancing his salvation plan through his chosen king and they were dark times just glance at the left hand end of the book the beginning of the book chapter 1 verse 1 in the days when the judges ruled in the days when the judges ruled were the bleakest days in the history of the people of God. God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt, miraculously, the events of the Exodus. He had promised to be with them. He had promised to provide for them. He had promised to go with them wherever they went. All he required of them was their simple trust, and their obedience. In fact, that's all God ever requires of his people at any time in history, trust and obey. Yet they had turned from God and disobeyed them. God judged them, punished them. They cried out to God for help. God raised up judges. The word judge means ruler or deliverer. The period in the history of God's people is described in the book of Judges, the book that immediately precedes Ruth. First, the Judges restored some stability, but that downward spiral continued. Judges chapter 19 is perhaps the bleakest chapter in the Bible, and uh, I'll leave you to read it uh, later if you wish. What is striking about these shocking events is that they happen amongst God's holy people in God's holy land. Dark times. The darkest of dark times. This is how the book of Judges ends. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit in their own eyes. And so the book begins in the days the judges ruled. The book of Ruth begins in the days when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The book of Ruth begins when there were things happening in God's holy land amongst God's holy people that were deeply shocking. Even in the darkest of times, the Lord is at work for the good of His people. Now that's the beginning of the book of Ruth. Turn to the other book end, the very end. Chapter 4, verse 16 that we read, Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. That's little Obed, one of the redeemers in the book. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then the genealogy is repeated. It ends with David. David is such a significant name in salvation history. He is God's chosen king. Whenever we hear or read the name David, we hear or read the name Jesus, great David's greater Son. Listen to the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 22:41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, "What do you think about the Messiah, whose Son is he?" Immediately they answer, "The Son of David." He said to them, "How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord?" For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? He is, of course, both David's son and David's Lord, the Lord Jesus. Now, this genealogy at the end of Ruth and the parallel genealogy at the beginning of Matthew is not meant to lead us to another name in a family tree. It leads us to the name that is above all names, Jesus. Jesus' name. And not just the coming of Jesus as God's king, not just his glorious work of redemption where our forgiveness is wrought at the cost of his suffering and death, not just the glory of the cross that gives way to the resurrection, not just in the giving of the Holy Spirit, but the return of the king. The day when all will bow before him and confess that he is Christ and Lord. Now, do you see how the book of Ruth fits into the bigger picture? At the left-hand end of the book, the book begins in the days the judges ruled, the darkest, bleakest history in God's people. The book of Ruth ends with David, and that shaft of light is thrown forward to the King David. Two or three generations down the track, mind, David is promised the King. And then beyond David to the Lord Jesus. In the days in which the judges ruled, hopeless, the promised King. And in the middle, the bridge is the book of Ruth. Now here's something to get our heads around when you open your bibles you read judges and it starts on that date it finishes at that date yep and you read the book of ruth and immediately you think the book of ruth starts historically at the point where the book of judges ends because you've got to put them one after the other in the bible but You've got to take my word for this, and I can show you afterwards if you want. The book of Ruth, the events described over that period of time, happens close to the beginning of the period of the judges historically. And what's the point of that? That even in the darkest of times, dot, 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 at the same time, God is at work for the good of his people to bring about his chosen king. And that's a wonderful thing. You know, when we live through tough times in our churches, locally or nationally. I was at a, an ordination service this morning and they'll all be saying, I think, that I preached a really dull and bleak sermon about the dark times we face. Hardly anyone has got any Christian contact in our country. And what we tend to, to feel as Christians, whether locally or on a bigger scale, is that we just need to tough it out, and then in 20 years' time, something will happen, and then it will get better. The Bible would encourage us to think that even in the very heart of the darkest of times, God is already at work for the good of his people, in advancing his salvation plan. I mean, the best example of that is probably China. We all rejoice in the wonderful things that are happening, but if, if I was to take you back to 1952, 53, 54, and we were gathering tonight, what Derek would have prayed for, rightly, is to help the church come to terms with the expulsion of missionaries from China, from the West. It was terrible. They were dark times. And yet even in the darkest of times, God was growing an indigenous church underground in China. We are in dark times, barren times in this country. We can take great heart from the book of Ruth that they are no worse than the period in which the judges ruled. They are no different either, though then everyone did what was right in their own eyes outside and inside the church now everyone does what is right in their own eyes outside and inside the church and yet god is building now how does the lord get from a to b you'll see that on the sheet there a is the beginning in the days the judges ruled b is david hope at the end how is it that god gets from a to b or let me just apply that to how is it that god gets from uh, a kind of downtime in church history i mean the same parallels run to a better time how is it that god gets a local church from a tough time to a better time well lots of ways but the book of ruth gives us four number one ordinary through ordinary people and ordinary events and um, and therefore the application is 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 for us all for unless I'm mistaken, we're all rather ordinary. It is amazing how many ordinary people figure significantly in the Bible. Think of the Gospels. Ordinary people. You've heard me say this before about the book of Ruth. Um, It's a little bit like an episode of The Archers. I wonder how many of you watch The Archers. There's been 18,500 episodes, and as far as I can understand, nothing has ever happened. The strapline of The Archers for a long time was an everyday story of country folk. It's now been updated to contemporary drama in a rural setting. I mean, there's a description of the Book of Ruth, an everyday story of country folk, a contemporary drama in a rural setting. Is that not a description of your local church? An everyday story of ordinary folk? Contemporary drama in a rural setting? An urban setting? A rural setting? I mean, meet the characters in Ruth. Naomi, an older lady who has lost everything her husband, her sons, her future, and is bitter and is broken. And yet she figures right at the heart of the advance of God's salvation plan. Ruth, a young widow from Moab who sought shelter under the wings of God, and God used her remarkably. Boaz, who came from a dubious heritage. What a godly man he is and how God used him. The action starts in the country of Moab, and the journey is back to Bethlehem. Most of the action takes place in a little town of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is really famous for us, but Bethlehem then is just nothing. It's a love story. There's a wedding. One more character, a baby boy, born in Bethlehem. Boaz and Ruth have a son. How ordinary is all of that? When I was there preaching on this in Ireland, I think I probably mentioned this too many times, but if you're a visitor tonight, you might think it's funny. Uh, In the middle of the conference, uh, it transpired that everybody there actually did watch the archers. And that week, there was a drama running about Ruth makes a critical decision in her life. So it shows you that you didn't find that funny, did you? <laughs> and the reason for that is you all watched the archers and you knew that was happening. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> now the question is this, is it possible? I mean, you don't think it is, do you? Is it possible that God could use you I think the theology of this is fair. Ruth isn't a Christ figure. Naomi's not a Christ figure. Boaz has bits on his life that point us to, he's not the redeemer in the story though. The baby's the redeemer. And then the baby's grandsons, greater sons, greater son. Is it possible that Living in our period of salvation history, God could use us, ordinary as we are, to advance his salvation plan into the return of his son. Is it possible? Well, I don't think so. Is it probable? I don't think so. Is it certain? I think the Bible would encourage us to answer yes. Let me come at it another way. God dignifies us by affording us the privilege of participating in the blessing of others in the outworking of his purposes in the advance of his salvation plan. I mean, think of it like this, for this church here is new in this community. Uh, There's now a gospel witness here. We can't but help be used by God in the advance of his salvation plan in this part of the city. Mark Ellis is here tonight, a good friend of ours. They've started a church in a part of a city where there was none. God dignifies us by using us. God has no categories of significant and insignificant. There's Ruth and Rahab in a genealogy that leads to Jesus. He has no ears or graces. Now, most of the time we don't see the fruit. Sometimes we do. It's worth remembering that in the book of Ruth, as we glory in the, the, how it all wonderfully unfolded, they didn't have a clue. I mean, at the end of the book, all that Naomi had in her arms was a boy, a baby boy. The very best that she felt God had given her was to replace the loss. Imagine if Naomi had known that her grandson would, his grandson would be David and it would lead to the Messiah. Imagine the woman who was bitter and empty and broken so here's an encouragement for those of us here and more of us than I think we would all like to think who really don't feel that God can use us and when you're sitting there thinking it's alright for you you're a, you're a minister let me encourage you that God does not work in the categories that we humans work as to who is significant in the furthering of his purposes, ever. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm a bit more like uh, Naomi in chapter 1. I'm a long way from the Lord. Remember Naomi, who walked away from the Lord For 10 years, God used her in this astonishing way. So if you have drifted away from the Lord, do not allow anything to persuade you that you cannot get out of the first chapter of Ruth. God's saving grace, his forgiving grace His restoring grace is all grace. How God gets from A to B ordinary people and ordinary events, uh, very quickly He gets there with a marriage. At one level in the book of Ruth, it's an ordinary marriage. But, 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 it is significant that the transition from the bleakest time to the time of hope is described with the picture of a marriage because marriage supremely describes the very heart of God's saving purposes the relationship between Jesus the bridegroom and his church the bride how the Lord gets from A to B against many setbacks the book of Ruth is full of setbacks some of them are quite comical when you read it like the other redeemer. When you hear the wedding bells beginning to toll at the end of chapter 3, Boaz, his godly integrity, he says to Ruth, the woman he's fallen in love with and is going to redeem and marry as somebody else. And we all shout, no! And then in chapter 4, the man says, I will redeem. Impossible. It's impossible that God could persuade that woman who had lost everything Naomi, to come back to Bethlehem. But he does, and he did. I sometimes think, you know, that people say this, and it it sounds kind of, you know, a bit pious, that, you know, it's impossible that God managed to save me. And you know, in our heart of hearts, we think it wasn't that hard for him, but it really was. You know, God looks over the parapet of heaven and he says to his son, what about that person for salvation? And Jesus says, no, no. Big risk. Here's a quote from John Piper. The life of the godly is not a straight line to glory, or the life of the Christian church is not a straight line to glory. The life of the godly is not like an interstate through Nebraska which I guess is a big, wide, straight road, but a state road through the Blue Ridge Mountains of Tennessee. That, If you know John Piper, you can just hear it. This is the road the Christian travels on or the Christian church. There are rock slides and precipices, dark mists, slippery curves and hairpin turns that make you go backwards instead of forwards. But all along this hazardous, twisted road, It doesn't let you see very far ahead. There are frequent signs that say, the Lord will build his church. The Lord will bring his son. The best is yet to come. And the book of Ruth is one of those signs for us to read in dark days for the people of God today. It was written to give encouragement and hope that in all the perplexing turns In the road of the church, in all the setbacks, God is building his church. How? Through ordinary people like you and me. Through ordinary events like your boring lives and my boring lives. An ordinary story of country folk. Through a marriage against many setbacks. And then that last little comment there through his sovereign providence. We sang Cowper's hymn, I think, for the first time ever to a guitar. I think William Cowper, I don't know what he make of that, Scott. <laughs> God moves in a mysterious way. I mean, is that true or is that not true? Just think of this group of people. You know how when you meet another Christian and you say, oh, what? I- I know that person and, you know, it's a little world. It's not because it's a tiny world. It's because God's got his fingerprints everywhere. God moves in a mysterious way. as wonders. He plants his footsteps in the sea. Remember a footstep in the sea? You don't see it in the sea. It's gone. And he's uh, moving words. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste. But sweet will be the flower. Bitter providences are providences. Sweet providences are sweet. They come from the same God. Bitter and sweet. The only thing that is sure to err is unbelief. Now, don't worry. It's not a seven-point sermon to go. I'm at 23 minutes and 50 seconds minus the reading we're working hard to shorten our sermons I'm going to be done in less than half an hour <laughs> no I'm not you know worrying, worrying laughs now just at the end of our studies on Ruth I want, I want to shift from this I want to shift from even in the darkest of times in the history of God's people even in the dark days in which we live in Scotland the Lord is at work for the good of his church his people in advancing his salvation plan through his chosen king and he uses us and that's great but We're not pawns on some giant cosmic chessboard moved around to checkmate people, to advance his purposes. God cares as much for the advance of his saving plan in your life as he does for the advance of his saving plan in the life of a nation. Why would he care as much? I mean, we wouldn't, would we? That's not strategic, is it? But he does. Now, for as much as these people and events are caught up in God's purposes to bless a nation and bring salvation to the world, I mean, that's true, isn't it, in the book of Ruth, what they all did as characters, blessed a family, blessed a nation, blessed a world, because God brought Jesus. As much as these people and events are caught up in his purposes to bless a nation and bring salvation to the world, the book of Ruth is about, and it is about this, and this is where we've been week in, week out, the book of Ruth is about God's salvation and redemption coming into the lives of these people and caring for them. It's not about Christians sheltering under his wings, it's about these Christians. These believers sheltering under his wings, and you and I—it's about bringing back people who have strayed. Now, let me just give you these as headings as we close. That's all I can do. These are the kind of practical take-home applications of wood. And here we are—we've gone from the trees to the wood to the sky to the two bookends of the history of the world. I want us to finish up in, back down in the trees and, and really in the tangled branches of our lives. That's where the book of Ruth is. Now, under this message that even in the dark times in your life, the Lord is at work for your good in advancing his salvation plan in our lives. i love at this point just to abandon these seven points and tell you seven stories of people in front of me. Should I do that? I'd love to. I can't, though, can I? I can't. I'd love to. But each one of these seven points is illustrated in someone, even in this room tonight. Number one, return to the Lord and let him fill you with hope. Return to him. Remember chapter one, that Hebrew word shuv? Return. Come back. Come back, return. Come back to me. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, thy head upon my breast. I came. You know, imagine if Naomi in chapter 1, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, thy head upon my breast. I never came to Jesus as I was. I was left weary and worn and sad. I never found rest again. I was never glad. Return. Come back. And you think that because of the circumstances in your life, you can never be filled with hope again. And I have thought that at times in my life. But the Lord will fill your heart with hope. Number two, turn to the Lord for the first time, however costly, the decision. We enjoyed that, not enjoyed, we studied that decision at the fork of the crossroads. You know, there's Moab, the kingdoms of this world, with that interstate highway leading to them, and there's Bethlehem, the house of bread, and all that Ruth had to go on were promises and that winding road like the high roads of Nebraska, and Ruth made a decision. What's the decision? Yahweh the Lord, plus nothing, nothing, nothing or everything minus the Lord. Nobody at the end of their life has ever said that the decision for everything minus the Lord was right. However costly the decision, turn to the Lord for the first time. Well, let me encourage those of you here who are freshers up at uni for the first time. Just make sure people know early on that you're a Christian. Let the cat out of the bag. Tell them. Number three, trust the Lord and obey his word. There are, and I've got a long list here, 35 examples in the book of Ruth of how God's people, Boaz, Ruth, Naomi, made simple decisions of trust and obedience. They, if you like, had the Bible open in front of them and they did what it said. Again and again and again. Simple trust, simple obedience. And God used them. Commit to godliness and prize godliness. We quoted Packer a few times. You might remember his words. There was a time when Christians laid a great emphasis on the reality of God's call to holiness. That uh, time has to return again. Godliness, Boaz, Ruth. A word is used to describe both Boaz and Ruth in the book, Hesed, loving kindness, Godlikeness, faithful commitment. And you know how powerful that is. Commit to godliness. And in the realm of relationships, prize godliness higher than anything. It's worth its weight in gold. In the day-to-day of normal life, the humdrum, boring life that we all live, or the insignificant lives we all live, remember the big picture, that every believer is dignified by being caught up in God's astonishing salvation plan. Except me, you're saying. Yes, you. That's truth. You cannot wriggle out of the fact that naomi is any more significant than any of us you cannot wriggle out of the fact that ruth is a nobody and a nothing we can't wriggle out of that profoundly reassuring number six glory in your redeemer we sung the song so many times we couldn't sing it again tonight it's a great theme tune of the book of ruth i will glory in my redeemer My life he bought, my love he owns. I will glory in my Redeemer who carries me on eagle's wings. And then finally, shelter under the Lord's wings. If I had a a text from the book of Ruth, it would be in chapter 2, verse 10. Why have i found such favor ruth asks but why on earth boaz are you extending your kindness to me i hope it is chapter 2 verse 10 that was in my head i think it probably is why have you been kind to me why and and if boaz just is in some ways a shadow that points to why jesus have you said amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch why me Because, Ruth, you have come underneath the wings of God's refuge. What does that mean for us? It means for us we have come to the cross of Christ. You see, the arms of the cross are like the wings of the eagle. To hold on to the cross is to be under the wings of God's refuge, ultimately. Here's a great old hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. You know, if the book of Ruth or life leads us to brokenness, like Naomi, then that is not a bad place to be in. Because in our brokenness, which is not weakness, the lord can fill us with hope restoring grace brokenness is the way to godliness and a church family that is most useful to god a christian that is most useful to god an ordinary person like naomi who is broken and bitter and sad But she never, ever, ever let go of God. And even better than that, the Lord never, ever, ever let go of her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the book of Ruth, this big picture. That even in the darkest of times, the Lord is at work for the good of his people in advancing his salvation plan through his chosen king, through ordinary people and ordinary events, through marriage against many, many obstacles, and sovereignly and providentially in ways that we cannot see unless we look back Lord, the wonderful thing about this book is that it is about salvation in our own lives. Thank you for the wonderful assurance that if we turn to you, however costly the decision, that you are no man's or no woman's debtor. That if we return to you, if we have drifted, you will not hold us to account or make a list of our wrongs or remind us of these years that we were astray, you would just be glad to have us back and fill us with hope. Help us to trust and obey, for there is no other way. Commit to godliness and love godliness. In the humdrum of our lives, remember the big picture. Glory in our Redeemer and never, ever, ever stray from God. cross of christ under his arms his dying arms is true refuge true refuge to be found we pray all this in jesus name amen